0: Bijou podcasts. Welcome to episode nineteen of the Stacey June Show. Today's wonderful guest is Al Halliwell. I'm Stacey June. Hello. I want to help you find your inner spark, and I promise you this podcast is going to be so much more than a motivational meme. By sharing the teachings and lessons I've learned on my path to spiritual and personal growth, you too can connect with your true self and become the most honest, worthy and powerful version of yourself you can be. This podcast is going to be about connecting with others and reconnecting you with yourself, learning to enjoy the good stuff in the moment, the lessons in the hard stuff, which is often where they live, and to always find the funny in the fucked. Hey guys, welcome to another brilliant interview that I have for you on the Stacey June Show. I am, of course, Stace. Hope you're well. Uh, I've been so thrilled with the different types of guests that I've had, all very aligned, however. There's this real underlying, I suppose, energy and connection that everybody has within each other. But particularly with these guests, I've found that people are really looking to self-inquire, really looking to question our our social norms and the way that we do things and i think more importantly are very open-minded to a bigger conversation of things that go beyond us. Al is an incredible human and has such a an epic story. And it was interesting because I find her story so uh, so inspiring, but very quite connected to my husband's story. She uh, is is really quite inspiring in the way that she's shown vulnerability in one of the most testing times of her life, and also is super inspiring with the way that she really rolled through that process. And when I say rolled through, I mean, vulnerability was at its absolute surface. She would regularly post Instagram videos of how she was feeling, but then also showcased this other side of this inquiry she had with her own nutrition, the way that she did um, her treatment, the different options that weren't necessarily put up to her from the beginning by her own doctors. She really had to go soul searching. Um, And she talks about that on the show, and she also talks about the incredible Relationship she has with her husband and the role he played in their team to get her through this. Just to backtrack a little bit, in 2016, Al made headlines uh, after revealing that she was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer whilst pregnant with her first child. She wrote a memoir. But which is called A Mother's Choice, and was published with her telling the story of what it looks like for someone to go through their first pregnancy, as well as a cancer diagnosis. So many people would have told her a gazillion different things, and I will let her tell you that story herself on the show. But she speaks out now about living healthily and in intuitively with your life and your body, and how this particular experience really enhanced her interest in nutrition and she's studying that at the moment. She writes uh, for health and well-being websites and papers and she's she's renowned for being uh, quite a successful and popular journalist across all All different types of uh, commercial media streams, but more so at the moment, she's concentrating on being a mum. She is studying naturopathy, like I said, and she is is writing and doing a lot of really incredible talks. and And really interested in speaking to younger kids as well about anxiety and mental health and a whole heap of other stuff. So, I think it's really interesting the way that we learn. I, I find on this show, I am more interested in learning from people that have gone through experiences and have had to come out the other side with being a bit of an investigator and a detective into their own bodies and their own lives and often a lot of the people that we speak to or I speak to on this program have really showcased this uh, courage and I suppose vigour in figuring out what's best for them. Al is 100% top of the list when it comes to that description. And she has lived the story to be able to inspire many, 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 many people. And I think what she's doing now and how she's really rolled with the way that her life has progressed is something we can all learn from. I think every single day we're resisting really simple stuff and, and finding that anxiety and And I suppose that real struggle is a part of our everyday life. And often we're really quite stressed about quite menial things. And that's not to take away the power of mental health and anxiety. But when you hear from a story, when you hear about a story like this, it's really, really, really difficult for you not to get some perspective. So I hope that you learn a lot from her. She's so graceful in her storytelling and so incredibly, uh, generous in the amount that she shares about a a pretty challenging time which I'm also sure that she's probably a little bit over talking about so we do talk about that a bit as well and how her cancer diagnosis has very much been at the forefront of her conversation and now she's really looking to put that uh, to the side and focus on new and exciting things. I hope you enjoy my beautiful chat with Al Halliwell. So congratulations, I want to say first and foremost, for your, is it a cancer undetectable cell result five-year thingy? That is
1: correct. Not five years, okay. but basically the, the aim when you start your treatment is mm-hmm. to get to a major or a complete molecular remission, which means that while my chromosomes are still ruined, like they've mm-hmm. broken apart and reattached the wrong way, mm-hmm. the actual production of cancer cells are not at levels that, the test can detect. Right. So essentially, my body's not producing enough cancer cells to detect it on a test, which is amazing.
0: Therefore, no new ones. No, like the shop's not active. Yes, exactly. Right. It's right. asleep,
1: and hopefully yeah. asleep forever. Yeah, we'll see. So I, yes, and I'm is very that excited. what? Because
0: I know a lot of people freak out at the terminal thing, which mm. essentially can also mean it's in, it's a part of you, and it's a part of your makeup. But that doesn't necessarily mean that at the end of uh, end of it all... I mean, we all die, right? But it's, I think a lot of people are a bit, get a bit confused by that. Yeah,
1: well, I think for my cancer is a chronic mm-hmm. cancer, which means that it is a kind of permanent cancer, if that makes uh-huh, sense. Uh-huh. Um, so while they haven't been able to cure it, they have managed to right. be able to suppress it to the point where... A lot of us can now live a pretty normal long life if we can, you know, manage to stay on the treatment and not have any weird mutations happen.
0: Is that a new term? Do you think? Chronic. Chronic, yeah.
1: Do you know what? I have no idea. I feel like
0: it might be. I
1: think that there aren't that many chronic cancers. Right. I think it, this is, I think blood cancers might be one of the cancers that has the, the chronic cancers more so than another because a lot of cancers because blood's such a unique kind of part of your body mm-hmm. um that, you know we can't get blood tumors mm, so i true. think that that's what differentiates it from a lot of other cancers
0: which they can kind of grow from whatever the other ones are made up of. exactly right right are you a little bit over talking about the cancer thing you know what i in in one way
1: yes because i don't want it to feel like I'm banging on about how I had cancer.
0: Oh, okay, if so it's that more makes more from sense. that perspective. Not so much that you don't want to talk about it, but more that you don't want to be a preachy something. Yeah, that's right.
1: right. And look, it's a part of my life now. It's what happened. But I feel very much like it was the beginning of my life in a sense mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it taught me so much and I changed so much as a person. Mm. And that's kind of what has set me on my path you know Mm. I found my why I found my purpose and so for me having had cancer and getting cancer was a you know it's a significant part of my life and if I have to talk about it a gazillion times in the hope that someone gets something good out of it um, and you know, can look at me and find hope or you know, faith or whatever they want to feel, mm-hmm. then I'm happy to bang on about it until the cows come home, if right. that makes sense.
0: I want to talk about the shifts that it had in you rather than it, but for anyone that is unfamiliar, I want to just give them a really quick snapshot that sure. essentially you were diagnosed with a form of leukemia and then fell pregnant or found out you were pregnant within it was it like a 48 Two days, hour? Yeah, right. Okay. And so how did you come to that diagnosis? What were the symptoms and what was that time ty- yeah. going on then? So um, about, I'd say it was a maybe eight weeks
1: before I went to the doctor because I'd had a bit of gastro mm-hmm. and I, I, I was kind of planning to start preparing to maybe have, like, start trying for a baby later that year. Okay. So that was still probably a year away in my mind. Mm-hmm. However, I was reading all the books, and I really wanted to make sure that my body was in the right space yeah. and, and you know you as do healthy about a as year possible. Year in, right? Yeah. 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 So I, you know, started taking the the prenatal vitamins yeah. and done all that stuff. And I, I thought to myself, hang on, I should probably check my folate levels and things like that, mm-hmm. and my vitamin D. So while I was at the doctor getting my doctor's certificate for work, I asked him, you know, can you just take some tests? Me and my husband are planning to start trying later in the year. And I just want to, one of the things actually, an old um, colleague told me a really, really great little tip and that was to just get a blood test every year Mm -hmm. so that if your levels are abnormal compared to say the rest of the world but normal for you, then you can always measure it against your levels the previous year and the previous year rather than just basing it on the average you know so that was something that I always made sure that you know once a year I just go and get a test as well
0: and also and we'll talk about this a little bit um later but our average is the most important average to be comparing to because the world is a very big place so an average of the world is not always going to be accurate that's you. right yeah, yeah
1: so you might just have generally low iron levels yeah. so you know a low iron for you is probably not going to be a bigger deal so yeah. that's why I did that so I went and got those tests they came back with high platelet levels in mm-hmm. my system and he thought it was just because of the gastro
0: mm-hmm.
1: so he retested me two weeks later that came back even higher and then he because I was Getting a bit worried at this stage, I was like, What's going on? He's like, Look, nothing to worry about. I'll send you to a haematologist just to rule out anything, but Mm -hmm. you know, don't stress. And I, to be honest, I had so much going on at that time. And how old were you? 30. Right. So it was like fashion week, and I was working on all this stuff. I was doing radio and TV, and I was just so busy. So, you know, that five weeks flew by, and then I went to get the test done. It was very straightforward. I went in my lunch break and they said we'll see you in three weeks we'll give you the test results and that's when the very next morning at 9am they called me and said we need you to come in first thing on monday morning which was in four days time and bring a loved one with you
0: oh god
1: and it it was the worst way to tell me that there was something seriously wrong and so we ended up luckily finding out later that night our gp we called him and was like we need to know what's going on right now because i was having a full-on panic attack
0: of course
1: so he came to our house, and so the way we, the way I found out was actually a really nice way because it was in our ha- in our home. And then by the time the appointment rolled around with the hematologist, we kind of in our mind come to terms with it enough to prepare a list of questions, right? Rather than sitting there mute, going, "I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die." And I'm for those die. of you
0: that have never been in this situation or even remotely had to go through, um, I guess some extensive western medical appointments when you get an appointment with someone like a hematologist or a specialist to some degree that's your appointment Mm -hmm. and that's what i think it's different obviously if you need to move treatment and you'll probably see them faster than some people but i think a lot of the time you know you you kind of start even fertility treatment you start to go into there and you think okay it's not like the normal GP. It's not like a normal situation where you've got access to them all the time. Right. So it is quite an interesting point because yeah. those questions then could be answered in that moment as opposed to you going away and then having to wait a week or even a month for some other situations. Exactly. You know, It's really a full-on way you know or or we're not educated a lot about it because obviously you don't want to be thinking about these things if they're not happening to you but yeah yeah, right so that's it's an I think that's at least one positive yeah in that really kind of intense time
1: Time, yeah that's right so it will look it was um pretty pretty intense week and one that you know I still look back and you know I think oh my god
0: how did I get through it um Mm. but yeah so you, fall, you find out you're pregnant. It's Firstly, it's already a shock because, I mean, anybody that isn't planning to get pregnant, it's always a weird scenario. Yes, and so, I'd taken a test two
1: weeks before and it was negative.
0: Yeah, right. So that's
1: why in my mind it wasn't going to be the case.
0: So did you get pregnant again on another occasion, do you think? Or no, was it... it
1: was too early to tell. So ah. I'd, done, I'd bought it a pack of two because we'd had a bit of an, like a, accident, as you <laughs> can call it, and I was going out with some friends about two weeks before I, I had the t- hematology appointment, and I wanted to have a drink, and so I, I had this, I bought this test just to make sure that, you know, nothing uh-huh. was going to, and it was negative, so I'd clearly just gotten in a bit too early at that right, stage, and okay. so that's why it was such a shock.
0: It's an interesting, um, it, it's a really full-on predicament for many reasons when you go against not even go against doctors' orders, but when you start to question medical experts. Oh my gosh! And yes. I'm quite fascinated by this how you went about this process because I feel like a lot of us are intimidated to question, to ask questions, to go do our own research, to be our own advocate when it mm. comes to the medical industry. Um, and I find that in all areas of our health, particularly women's health, because often you're you're sent away quite quickly. Mm-hmm. You were com- you were you had to experience this in the absolute most extreme scenario because yes. you found out that you're pregnant and you found out you have cancer, and their their understanding is that the best move for you was to terminate the babies. Yes, that correct? that's
1: right, and yeah. go on fertility treatment, and it look, I, I credit Nick with so much of the strength that he gave me because I've always grown up to, you know, respect authority and Mm -hmm. respect the experts. Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard for me to kind of not go, well, this is what the doctor says. Mm. These are the doctor's orders, so to speak. Mm. Um, and my husband's like, hang on, you know, how do you feel about this? Like what, you know, what, kind of is going on in your head and your mind and your your hot your heart and stomach. And it was him that kind of gave me I guess the courage to to think about all of the alternatives mm-hmm. and then you know ultimately go down to south australia and get a second opinion.
0: Right. And so how do you do that within yourself? Are you a meditator? Are you a researcher? You're a journalist? Like how do you Do you go for a walk and find... How do you activate that gut feeling? Because in those moments, I can only imagine... Your head is very involved. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opinions with family, friends, doctors, everything. (laughs) Yeah, everyone had an opinion. How the fuck do you access, I guess, your inner friend, your own intuition?
1: Yeah, and it's funny because I am a researcher. I like to get to the bottom of everything, you know, every kind of dinner party, all like the family's going, no, I think this and I think that. I'm like, Mm. just get Google, guys. Mm. You know, I'm always that person that's kind of the, you know, the mind of reason. But for me, I couldn't could not look on the internet I was too scared I didn't I didn't want to know what I was in for and so I kind of just completely kind of went in myself and it was actually my husband who started to kind of hit the books and start doing all of this amazing research to find other people who'd either been in a similar situation or experts around the world and so it was him who actually found uh, Professor Tim Hughes down in Adelaide who was a you know world expert Um, and yeah so that's that was amazing because yeah. it meant that I didn't have to, to kind of do that research. And it's funny how, yeah, I just couldn't bring myself to to look because I knew I'd open up a Pandora's box. And well,
0: there's a reason, right? Mm. There must've been a reason. self-preservation 100%. thing. hundred percent. You knew that what you were going to find wasn't necessarily going to help you guys. Yes. That's how I felt. Yeah. And so with your husband's guidance in that time, you know is is there a practice or is there something where is it kind of a team scenario do you guys sit down and discuss things before you go to bed or in this situation how did this how did this unpack realistically mm. for everyone scene at home like where do you get the courage what are the combination what's the combination for you to get the courage to say we're out of here we're on a plane we're gonna yeah. go get some
1: other because it's a lot I know he was overwhelmingly optimistic and I think at the time I was actually at time's getting a bit annoyed yeah, and like, hang on, don't you understand the seriousness of, you know, what this is? Mm. And now I look back, I realise that he was just trying to keep me going and keep my hopes up. And I feel a bit, a little bit bad now, you know, <laughs> cause at the time I, you know, I kept shutting him down and, but it was the fact that he kept going, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't the worst thing in the world. Maybe you can get through this and let's just ask as many people as we can and, and find out exactly what we're in for and what the chances are and, you know, the statistics. And and so I really, you know, I'm forever indebted mm-hmm. and grateful to him for just he really was my rock the for captain. that whole time. Yeah, right. And I, I couldn't believe how amazingly he stepped up to the plate. I, I honestly don't know if I could have gotten through it without him.
0: Was he... Um was he? Did you see those personality traits before this in those extremes? Was he? Yeah, that because that's a real entrepreneurial. There's a different. You have to have a different way of looking at life to be that that strong in that environment. Yeah, particularly strong. Get ag- going against something that someone says is going to save your loved one's life yes
1: that's true look Nick's always been one to question authority and he's got got (laughs) this unfailing positivity as well which I always kind of knew but I never would have been able to predict how well he handled it all Mm. and I think that there were definitely moments when I wasn't there Mm. where he you know broke down but he knew that if he did that then I would And then it would just, everything would fall apart. So he managed when he was around me to just, you know, be so strong and positive.
0: Mm, Wow. And when you look back, how long had you guys been together for at that point?
1: So we'd gotten married in 2012. So Mm -hmm. that was about four years before, but we'd met when I was 19. Okay. Um, Yeah, we were next door neighbors. And so we'd been together for about, oh God, Eight years, yeah, no, right. maybe even ten years by then. So you learn yeah. a
0: bit of an idea of how to be a team. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah right. And so through that process, you will you know, you had a, a, a like a pregnancy that ended up with your little baby boy. Who's how old is he now?
1: He's two. Two. Two and a bit. He turned oh, two yes. in December. I know. I can't believe it.
0: Wow. And so there's kind of two lines of questioning, right? Because there's like there is the I guess the thought process around you becoming a mother, mm. which I think is really important to keep quite sacred because that's its own experience mm. in itself. And then there's you essentially figuring out ways to fight for your life and and yeah. have treatment. How did the two how did you keep the two separate in terms of your own mental I suppose mm. approach or was that not an option? Well,
1: th- it really wasn't because I think if you've never gone through it before, you you kind of don't know oh, true. what is what, do you know what I mean? And so, so that's your first pregnancy, that's what you know. Exactly. Yeah, so they were right. completely intertwined and so that's why we actually we did a gender reveal on my birthday because when we told our friends and family about the pregnancy, everyone was devastated mm. because all that they saw was a really complex tragic scenario. Mm. And so to have gotten to the point where Things were looking really good, and have the whole family around us, and be able to celebrate the gender of the baby felt like telling my friends and family for the first time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that we're was to just so uplifting. Recreate it, that, yeah, yeah. It really kind of gave me that excitement that I'd missed when I, you know, when I first mm-hmm. found out. Mm-hmm. It's funny though because since I got my zero um, results, the thought of you know trying for another baby has come up. You know, in the last few few weeks few Mm. months for me and I'm really really scared about it Mm. I haven't really kind of talked about this but for me I'm pretty terrified at the thought of maybe having another because I guess the idea of pregnancy is so wrapped up in trauma Mm. that the idea of whether or not I could you know go through that especially if there was something that might have gone wrong or something it terrifies me so mm. I'm I'm really at an interesting place you know in my I guess motherhood journey now and look at that still a couple of years away too, right
0: because yeah it is a trauma time. it's funny you say that my husband um found out he had prostate cancer at 36 and he's on his way to the out or his apartment our apartment but that's kind of the home for him. I think he definitely represents that as the home of him getting through his cancer. Yes. And he's just been on edge all mm-hmm. weekend, you know, just, and it's not really like him. And he said to me before, I don't know, something about going back to that place. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I think what I didn't know, he's about, I think he's five years now Yeah, or over, I think, but, um, I didn't know him at that time Mm -hmm. so it is this on one flip side we have this whole new life that he feels like he got because he changed his life after his cancer so we wouldn't and I remind him that often we wouldn't have met if you probably didn't have cancer I probably wouldn't have married you pre cancer absolutely but at the same time what I think I've realized over the past few weeks is that there's still so much trauma healing to Mm. be done Mm-hmm. How do you process that? And and is there are you in therapy? How like what's your? Because I think so many people it might not be cancer, but so many people have that come up and out of their life mm. for a long time. Yeah, how do I, you deal with
1: it? I don't know. I think after Tor was born and when when I returned from maternity leave back to work and you know life started to get a bit more normalcy than it, it you know had over that last year. That was the time that I really needed that support mm. not necessarily when I was going through it but to process it um so I started seeing one a therapist I see a therapist occasionally but I also kind of feel very much that I should have probably started seeing someone during that time mm-hmm. only so that I could start processing it even though I didn't feel in my mind like I needed to at that moment mm. um and, yeah, I found that really helpful over the last few years. Writing the book mm. uh, was a really, really cathartic experience, which forced me to revisit those moments from the eyes of my family and friends mm. who I hadn't had to do that before. You know, you go through it and it's kind of all about you, if you mm. know what I mean, mm. not their perspective on how they saw it. So having to ask my mum to go through the moments that I t- when I told her about the cancer mm. was really quite difficult but mm. I needed I think I needed that mm. and I think they needed that as well so that was a really really great way to kind of just I don't know dump it all on the page and
0: I think as well essentially just to open it up for anyone that is thinking or you know unsure how to work through this stuff it's feeling it really isn't it? it's experiencing yeah. it yeah you know and that your way was to write the book and to have that as a reason to go there but I think it is a lot of the time sitting in it. Absolutely like and I think that's
1: why journaling is such a big yeah. thing now because it really is such a great way to process certain things mm. from an emotional perspective. Mm, mm,
0: mm, mm. And so when you um, when you did go back to work and you carried on and 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 you had a baby and you so what was your treatment like and, and how much of that was? A part of your daily, your new daily routine yeah. or your new weekly routine. Um, so I started
1: treatment about five weeks after I gave birth to Tor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, those first few months were a bit rough mm. um, because my body was getting used to the medication, and you know I've, I lost quite a bit of hair, and my whole body broke out in all these rashes, and I was exhausted, you know, on top of being a new mum. Mm. So I was so lucky though. we were living beneath um, my husband's parents. And so I had this incredible support all the time. Mm. So that was, I, I honestly don't know what I would have done without them. Mm. And so that was really great. So having, you know, so much support in those early months was really fantastic. And when I, um, when I was diagnosed a few, few weeks after, I realized that the chronic anxiety that I've been battling for about a decade had gone away. And I, I couldn't understand why that was the case after going through a trauma, why I was no longer feeling this tight chest, you know, that I would feel whenever, you know, the anxiety read its ugly head. And it was because had this bubble of kind of love and support around me making sure that I wasn't worried about you know any bills that were piling up or things that I needed to do or worrying what other people thought of me or worrying you know what the future held I didn't have a future I didn't know what the future could possibly Mm. hold for me at that Mm. time so I was forced to be in the present I was you know just living in the moment and it was such a liberating feeling that subconsciously my body just released all of the anxiety that I'd been building up and One of the things that I found since, you know, in the months and the years since that happened is that the anxiety started to creep back in Mm. because the daily pressures of life have started to creep back in and all of the, you know, the normal things that you have to deal with. And so for me, it's been really interesting having learnt the tools almost kind of accidentally Mm. um, during that time. Now I know how to, to combat it when Mm. it hits now which has been really amazing but it's something you know I think mental health is a really really important thing to talk about and I think a lot of people um, you know up until recently have always found a little bit you know a a taboo subject Mm. but I really feel like if you can talk about it and be very honest and open about it then and also share your own ways of battling it because I think everyone's kind of journey with anxiety or depression is so different from someone else so if you share yours then someone can kind of go oh that's a little bit like you know how I feel when I get it.
0: It's interesting because I think (sighs) to really be able to access, um, I guess, some form of Separation from it because mm. it isn't necessarily you. It's mm. a, it's some, it's a, it's an element or a, a symptom of something that's going on yes. within you. It's very hard to find that way, that opportunity to be able to look at it. Mm. And yours was a, a very unfortunate one, but at least you got that out of it. Yes,
1: absolutely. I
0: noticed that last year I had a real rough year, um, and I was really panicky. Like I was having panic attacks mm. quite regularly. And I'd always had anxiety since I was quite a young girl, but it was never dubbed as anxiety. Like I was fainting at five and people just thought I was lightheaded. You know, it was, I was having proper panic attacks and, um, and I, I realized that they started coming up again last year and it was interesting because I felt so conflicted. It was like, I am so happy. I've met this man of my dreams. I've waited for him so long. <laughs> and we felt we felt pregnant, but we miscarried, but we, we were still on a road of things that we wanted, mm. you know. There, were, there was the hard times. But at the same time, I did have this essence of safety. Mm. And that's exactly why I think it started to play out.
1: Yes, that makes so much sense because you're thinking, when's it going to stop?
0: Yeah, but also I think I was able in a safe place to flesh out stuff I needed to work through.
1: Right, that makes
0: sense. I feel like Ben gave me a safe haven Mm -hmm. to be... A pretty awful person <laughs> through my panic, mm. which I realized, and I've spoken about this. I don't know if I wrote an article, but I, I spoke about it somewhere where I realized a lot of my anger outbursts were actually panic, but it allowed me to be able to look at it. Mm. I don't know. What other ways do you think other people are able to access a view of it without necessarily going through something as, it, as full on as what you have, or even going through stuff yeah. That I've just described. How is there a way for us? Do you think to view it? Yes, that's. It's funny that you say that because I was
1: on my way over here and I've got this kind of spiritual guru who I feel is almost. This is weird. He's like my guardian angel. His uh-huh. name's Wayne W. Dyer. Oh yeah. And yes, I've loved him since I was about fifteen, sixteen, right? And he actually He's like died. An old
0: school self, you know. He, yes, oh, the, but like the original ridgy didge kind of dude
1: absolutely and you know he lived by the towel and he became very spiritual in his old age like and you know he ended up starting from like manifest your destiny but then he went into kind of a very philosophical kind Mm -hmm. of point of view as he he got older and I remember the day that he died I was sitting in an airport in LA this is about a year before I was diagnosed and I knew that he'd been uh, diagnosed with leukemia and I was so sick this day. And I was in the airport and I was reading through, I think my news feed and I saw that he'd passed away. And I just remember having this complete breakdown by myself. And I just couldn't believe that he'd gone anyway. So I still listened to his podcast religiously. I think he's an incredible man. And he was talking about in this podcast today about how he deals with pain. And he said, what I, I tend to do is I will look in a mirror and I will look at myself and visualize my pain coming from an external point of view and I think that that's something that we can also do when we're having a panic attack or feeling a bit anxious kind of yeah step away from you know the anxiety and go that's not you that is just a feeling that is, you know, happening to your body. Mm. And I think that being able to kind of separate your mind from it mm. and kind of going, okay, these are physical symptoms, this is how I'm feeling it, is probably a really good way to to deal
0: with it. Well one hundred percent. Like you drink alcohol and then you get hung over and you're aware that you're hungover because you've drank alcohol. Like there's external mm. factors that make us feel things. But when it comes to particularly depression and anxiety, maybe chronic pain for some people, it starts to almost become your personality or yes. who you are. And I think for me because it was so undiagnosed and I've never really been I I've never actually been technically diagnosed with an anxiety disorder mm. because I feel like the only way for that to happen is if you're prescribed anti-anxiety medication yes, which the- I have been but no. yeah there's not really ever any other process to go through. So no. there's every reason for you to believe that it's you. And it's a part of who you are. As yes,
1: you're an to, anxious person. Yeah. Not you have anxiety. anxiety.
0: Yes, mm. and I think the way I started. If you are looking for something and you're listening, going, okay, I want, I want to learn more about that. I learnt that, so I'll put um, Wayne stuff in the show notes, but I'll also put, and I know most of you will have heard me bang on about this, but uh, Michael Singer's Untethered Soul, the book, in mm-hmm. show notes as well, because he is the master of explaining how to separate your thoughts and other parts of yourself with your sense of self so the fact that your thoughts and things that are going on are not who you are and that may help with the anxiety
1: well you know what I'm going to be downloading on my kindle when I get no
0: and I don't read I'm not I'm a reader when I'm into it but I wouldn't say I'm a reader. Like I have to, I do have to work at it and I do read, Mm. but that book I've read twice already. It's sitting by the toilet. I have any opportunity I can pick it up. I will read because I, for an anxiety person, it wasn't built around anxiety, but the understanding of the mind, and I'm not saying anxiety is in your mind. It's just the practice of Mm -hmm. separating something from your sense of being of who you are versus what you're told you are mm. is really quite powerful.
1: And I'm going to have to use your loo after this then. <laughs> it might be a while though.
0: <laughs> well, you've also got five steps of spiritual surrender. It's written on the side. You've got it like, oh. the, the loo's a busy place in my house.
1: Hashtag toilet goals right there.
0: <laughs> um, so on that, the, through this process you've created, I guess, a very new relationship with your body. Would that be Mm. safe to say?
1: Definitely. I feel so much more respect for it, Mm. not only pushing out a 3.1 kilo Mm. child and carrying that child through one of the hardest things that it's ever had to go through, Mm. but also, yeah, just, I guess being amazed at how I could still function despite my body going through such a traumatic experience physically Mm. was just amazing. And I think that one of the things that I I feel regret over, I don't necessarily regret, but I feel a little bit of sadness for my 20-something self Mm. because I would abuse my body and, you know, whenever I would put something healthy in it, it was because I wanted it to be thinner or Mm. more pretty or... And I think now I'm so much more focused on eating and drinking to stay alive and to give my body what it needs Mm. in order to do that and to, you know, carry on tasks like being a mum. And, you know, Mm. I've just got a lot more respect for my body, Mm. which is so nice. And Mm. I'm so sorry to it for, (laughs) you know, all of those years that I always put it at the, you know, bottom of
0: the priority list. What do you not do now? Do you drink alcohol or do any of that
1: you know what I still do have a glass occasionally mm-hmm. you know generally it's organic and preservative free but there's kind of two sides to the coin after going through something like cancer because you also realize that you're not immortal mm. and you only live once mm. and so it's important to still do things that you really enjoy and things mm. that give you joy Um, So I do everything respectfully with Mm. my body. Mm. Um, And while I do eat a predominantly organic diet um, and I feed that to my son as well, you know, I also still, you know, love treating myself. But generally it's, you know, if I want a burger, I'll make it at home Mm. or something Mm -mm -mm -mm. like that. And um, but I'm also very much more relaxed about my lifestyle because Mm. I think that, any anxiety that I feel around food is probably more toxic than anything that I'm putting in it, if that makes sense. So so I think it's a really delicate balance between, you know, being so caught up and feeling any guilt if, you know, something that's a little bit naughty touches your lips, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: and also just like living life and enjoying it and not placing too much thought or energy or anxiety on things that you're doing
0: yeah they're decisions Mm -hmm. as opposed to non-thinking
1: yeah and I think if I kind of approach everything from a place of kind of love and respect for my body then I you know I know that I'm doing it a service rather than a disservice
0: um I'm gonna ask a big question so you don't have to answer it if Mm -hmm. you don't want um do you believe in metaphysical the metaphysical theories around emotional, essentially emotional energy in your body creating disease.
1: Absolutely.
0: And how do you correlate that? Like, how do you come to that when you're a person that's survived cancer?
1: I think I really do believe, and I know that there's very much debate on whether this is the case, but I do believe that having lived in, I guess, such a stressful state for such a long period of time Mm. was one of the biggest reasons that I got sick because Mm. I really feel like my body was constantly ready to run from the lions and not in rest and repair mode. Mm. And so I really feel that, you know, something just slipped through the keeper Mm -hmm. and it probably shouldn't have been. And if I'd been, you know, in a better state of health and respect in my body and not stressed out all the time, then maybe my body might have you know, caught the the cancer cells before, mm-hmm. you know, it proliferated.
0: So they would have that's re- my theory. rejuvenated essentially or themselves? Yeah,
1: that's right. There's this thing called apoptosis, which is where, you know, cells die when mm-hmm. they're, you know, either dis- diseased or, you know, there's something wrong with it. And mm-hmm. I just think that the state of stress that my body was in meant that it wasn't kind of my immune system wasn't looking out for... The, you know, the issues that were going on in my, you know, DNA.
0: Yeah. I'm a big believer in it too, but I've lost people to cancer and it's and it's also very – it's a difficult conversation to have. You can't mm. say – you know, it's not something that I've ever felt – Comfortable saying, you know, you caused this for yourself. Yes, or you can cure it by this. Yeah, totally. It's not that simple. But at the same time, having met Ben and him really opening up and saying, "I, I think the way I was living," Mm -hmm. and I was like, "Wow, okay, so I'm not, I'm on to you know, uh, there is something here." If somebody that has actually experienced that feels that, the interesting part about that conversation, I think is that often we have very few reasons to check in. Mm. And I've experienced that more recently with trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And often a lot of people, like you just explained, of thinking about getting pregnant and going in and saying, okay, I need to go get some tests done. We watched it with Juliana Rancic, which I've kind of been obsessed with her story for years and years. Yes. Has she found breast cancer after so many different IVF uh, like attempts. And and my own je- health journey essentially has been we're in fertility treatment as well because my husband's sperm is frozen from yep. the cancer. So at the beginning, it was very much around uh, these things are happening because of his journey. Mm-hmm. But what we found really quickly was that um, my adrenal fatigue and anxiety essentially mm-hmm. and burnout have really fried my juiciness. Yeah. Yep. and. And I just wondered if I hadn't tried to get pregnant, when was going to be the time that I was properly going to check in and know about that?
1: Yes, exactly. I, I, I totally agree. And that's why I think that if there's anyone who's listening to this in their early 20s or late 20s at all, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really important to constantly check in with your body and make sure that you're not neglecting certain parts,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, of your either mental health or your physical health. Because it's funny, isn't it? Because you get to your 30s and that's when all of those things start to really hit home and you go, oh, my gosh, why why didn't my 20-something, you know, sort yeah. this out earlier or start those but habits? No
0: one told us. No. No one. No one. There were, you know, maybe we were told to check our breasts or have a pap smear and yeah. we don't even have to have a pap smear. You know, the one yeah. thing that they were able to figure something out, you know, for the one thing that we were all very very kind of trained to get. The mm-hmm. irony of that, it, There, there isn't anything about talking, checking in with what's making you feel uneasy. I mean, these are the first things. If you're getting anxiety every day from a friend or from a job or from a situation... Mm-hmm. You need to check in with yourself or whether that's something you could regulate or you need to get the fuck out of that. Yeah, that's right. Because it's physically damaging. Yeah, and
1: do you know what's so sad? I spoke at a school uh, about a year ago, a boys' school in a year 11 class. And when I was asked to speak, I kind of thought, what are year 11 boys <laughs> going to get out of it? You know, my story. It was amazing after I spoke about my anxiety, how many of them came up to me mm. after to say it really resonated with them. And I was so devastated to see that many young boys you could only imagine how many young girls would be in that same situation probably more but were willing to come up and kind of share that in front of other other yeah. children about how, how they were going they through that and yet yeah,
0: they've got nowhere yeah and it's, it's insane it's
1: really really sad I think that's something that really needs to be um, a really big point of focus for a lot of parents mm. and schools as well mm.
0: And I think it's interesting because I we think, all right, well, we want to get pregnant at one point and, and we all head that way when we start to think about having a baby or mm-hmm. even in the position. For me, I knew I wanted to get pregnant. I didn't have a boyfriend. So I was <laughs> like, I can do this on my own or I can sit here and wait. So it was, you know, it wasn't something that I was – but I I got to say I was always pretty proactive with my health mm-hmm. and, and so I remember going and getting tests and all those kinds of things. But still in those moments – I was never told what my mental health was doing to my physical self. Mm,
1: yeah,
0: You know, we were testing for egg counts and testing for different hormone levels and, you know, all these kinds of things. But it wasn't until the actuality of trying to hold a baby happened where yeah. people like, oh, okay, well, you and my Chinese medicine dude is like, you think a lot. You know, and essentially he doesn't speak a lot of English. So yeah. his way of saying your anxiety is, you know, this is our biggest challenge yeah. is that, you know, your physical self. So it's interesting with you, you're studying um, naturopathy now. Yeah. Uh, what, what are you finding in that, I guess, that discovery process around not just this particular topic, but around... Uh, health and things that I guess we don't know that we should know. Are there any other things that have come up since yeah. you started studying?
1: Well, it is amazing how how fascinating the human body is, and mm-hmm. it's like going down a bit of a rabbit hole because you kind of look at one thing, and you go, "Oh, I wonder how that corresponds to this," and it really is mind blowing. And I feel very much so that I would need to be studying until I'm about ninety to kind yeah. of, you know, really get a grasp on how incredible. The human body is and how nature works in synergy with it yeah and I guess for me as well one of the things that I feel a bit sad about is that there's such a, a, a massive divide between alternative mm-hmm. health you know even mental health and you know your standard health care and I really pray for the day that they can all kind of you know put down their swords mm. give each other a hug and go how can we work together to make sure that from the day that we're born we can kind of have this holistic health approach so that we can you know foster really good health so we don't need you know to to go to um you know so we don't end up with cancer and then try and fix it Mm. so that we can start you know with a really great mental and spiritual health from a really young age Mm. so that we don't get to that point
0: how did you manage that process when you were having two? So were you into alternative therapies before you had your cancer diagnosis? I, look, I'd been
1: thinking a little bit about nutrition, mainly from mm-hmm. a point of wanting to start a family. Yeah. Um, however, uh, and look, I've always been into kind of spirituality, mm-hmm. you know, hence Wayne W. Dyer. Um, but it was never really a life or death kind of need mm-hmm. until until I went Literally. through what I did. Yeah. yeah, so that really ramped up you know, my, my quest for learning. And I think when I was going through it, I felt so alone, not having anyone else who I I could talk to who'd been in that situation. I felt like I was a guinea pig because I was like, Mm. what can I eat? That's going to be good for the cancer, but also good for the baby Mm. and vice versa. And Mm. like, it was hard to find out. It's hard to know that Mm. there's not much, you know, literature on, Mm. you know, how to, how to manage cancer and a baby from a dietary point of view. Yeah. Um, So that kind of set me on the path. I was like, okay, well, if no one else can tell me, I'll just have to learn it myself. Mm. So that's kind of how I started on the the kind of health journey. And I feel very much like in, you know, this day and age, it's so important for us to um, arm ourselves with the own tools for knowing where to find the information. That's what I, I'm, you know, I'm really happy that, I, you know, having had that journalism background, I could kind of wade through all of the the talk on online. You know, you Google something and then the first thing that comes up isn't necessarily going to give you the correct information. So being able to look, you know, at peer-reviewed
0: reports and, How and research. How would you fact-check stuff? If someone was going to try and workshop through their own... Uh, their own, ad- or just advocate for themselves, really, yeah. um, with their own health. How how do you fact check things? Where do you? I
1: think go? a really easy thing to do would be to, um, if you, you're curious about something, look online. Go to WebMD, find peer reviewed reports with um, citations at the bottom. Mm-hmm. If there's citations at the bottom, you know mm-hmm. that at least there's been some kind of proper research done. Not They'll look just... like hyperlinks or you know exactly print those pages out, take it to your GP and then Mm. get them to kind of put it in layman's terms because Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be so convoluted Mm. and you can go, I have no idea what this means. But if you've got the paper there give it to the GP and go, what does this mean and how does that relate to, you know, what I'm going through right now? Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really great way to do it.
0: Yeah, me too. I think the other thing to remember from what you said about how you felt very alone in that space, and obviously because it would be incredibly rare for Mm. that to be something someone's writing about every two seconds, (laughs) but... I think a lot of the time we all feel that in our own way because Mm. we are all quite individual. So your mix of maybe it wasn't having a baby and having cancer, (laughs) which is probably right up there, um, could still be I feel like I might have endometriosis symptoms but everyone's telling me I don't Mm. or I could be having cramping but actually I don't have painful sex but I've got this part or there's so many different factors as to what makes us up. And often I think the important thing to remember is that you will often feel alone in that process yeah. because it's about you, mm, absolutely. and there isn't going to be a website that's specifically built for you. And I think we're looking for that. I think when we have something, we're like, "Oh God, but that doesn't work for me," or that part doesn't really relate, or, and that's when I think we start to realize that we either go two ways. We start to realize we have to advocate for ourselves. Yeah or we start to then believe someone else's diagnosis or it could be just a GP saying it's probably just bronchitis or it could be something else and that doesn't fit right with you but you've understood and believe them because they're a professional and it fits under a certain banner.
1: Yes, that's right. And we've lost that intuition. Yeah. It's we're bombarded with so much marketing and so many people telling us, you know, certain things that yeah, you I don't think anyone can really act through their gut anymore I mean Mm. you look at food I mean animals just know instinctively what to eat if they're Mm. sick they won't eat or they'll go and eat a certain shrub which science says is this miraculous thing for your gut whereas you know a goat doesn't know that it Mm. just knows to instinctively eat that grass or Mm. eat that thing when it's not well but we're so bombarded and we're so clever that mm. we're, we're too cl- too smart mm. really for mm. ourselves and i think that we've made everything so hard mm. that it's hard to just kind of zone out and go hang on what should i do as an animal mm. in this situation
0: mm. Do you know
1: what I mean? I totally know. We don't have that instinct anymore. No,
0: and I think that's a practice, and I speak about this a lot on the show that if you don't have some form of even five minute ritual for yourself, it's Mm. very hard to access that. But your intuition is very much an action, and I don't think that without any form of activity or commitment or investment into that, it's easy for you to access it. So yes. it is important to find something. It's so
1: true. Yeah. I, I, I find that with meditation. Yeah. I do feel like I can kind of tune into myself a lot more when I'm, I'm doing it regularly.
0: What kind of meditation do you do?
1: I do Vedic okay. meditation. What's but, that? Tell us about that? So it's about where well, you get given a mantra.
0: So like TM, but not? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, you yeah you just repeat your mantra over and over again
0: and do you Um, find that so then that helps you get out of your thoughts yeah
1: it's funny because I go through that and then I also if I'm really needing just to zone out I love a guided meditation Mm. yeah I just and I I just love you know rolling wave soundtracks (laughs) and bird music and noms and you know all that just depends on my mood
0: yeah I think that's an important point too is because if you are a meditator listening I did this in the coaching that we did last week is that it's going to be different for you every day a lot of people ask me what do you do and I was like I don't know do my meditation like I don't have a I don't have a thing like I've learned things along the way I've done lots of different courses not even specific meditation courses. I just learned things with different yoga practices or different courses yeah. that will have splices of their tradition or their understanding. But I've always made it my own.
1: Yeah. I've, you know? Yeah, and I think you need to. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, one practice isn't necessarily going to work for
0: you every day no. as well. Sometimes I do need to think. Sometimes I need mm. to get answers. So it is you know I think often it's it's to stop thinking it's like well for me who's a massive overthinker sometimes I need some clarity so in that space I can kind of calm things down and then things start to answer for me. Yes. I get a lot of answers through meditation but on the flip side of that I can get hooked to that a bit like yeah, I get a bit, right. it's like my drug. I'm like yeah I'm going to go and talk to the divine and I'm I'm going to go into my meditation room we're going to have the best like I'm going to find out. Yes. So it gets a bit um a busy. Still. Yeah, you expect too much from <laughs> yeah, it too. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. why
1: sometimes like <laughs> I I love to draw and paint. Do you? And I love to walk and I find both of those almost as good as a meditation. And yeah. I think they talk about it as being in in flow. Yeah. Because your your mind's kind of tuned out and you can spend an hour and it'll feel like two minutes when you're doing something that you really love, whether that's playing a musical
0: instrument or doing a sport. Totally. It's that joy thing. It's the yeah. Marie Kondo, but not for clothes. <laughs> that's like, so what, good. Yes. What evokes joy with you. But I think that's a good point because I do believe meditation can be all different things for different people. But what I think the skill that we need to learn is, is that to access what that feels like. So then day to day, when we're when some people are saying to us, follow your gaps. Use your intuition. Everyone's like, I don't know what money, is. <laughs> yes. And then you are doing other things so you can be like, oh, okay. I go back and I think about what that feels like at that time. And yep. maybe I try and harness if something feels like that, then maybe I'm on the right track.
1: Yes, that's a really – I like that yeah. way of thinking, yes.
0: Uh, one last question I want to ask about um, because you did talk earlier about western v eastern and how Mm. it's the medicine industry the medical industry is quite full-on how did you correlate how did you connect the two and and I guess find that appreciation with both because obviously there was there was so many factors that came for your health and and rescuing your health from Mm. both because you can't I think what I'm trying to say is I sit very much on the eastern side naturally but I know now going through a fertility journey I need the west to help me but that's been hard it's not an easy road for me to accept and say oh okay I need this drug or I need this injection even though I'm ovulating fine you're going to put this in me that's been a hard thing for me to kind of accept how did you go around that if someone of someone that's quite a natural approach person
1: yeah I think just having a healthy appreciation for the advancement in technology but not using it as a crutch not going oh it's all right if I get sick I've got this drug to fix it Mm -hmm. because not that necessarily doesn't mean that it's going to fix it or it could fix that problem but then open up another five because of the side effects I mean I I don't know if you've been to the states in the last decade but you can see those ads at night it's like this will help you your heart but it could also give you kidney failure and this and then you're like hang on that's just doesn't make sense so for me when I got diagnosed I said to um you know my my specialist I was like so how can I best kind of I guess get my body in the right space to combat this disease mm-hmm. and he goes well do you take your medication I said yeah no 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 but what else like what can I do how can I give my body the best chance of getting through this and he goes take the medication don't have grapefruit because it interacts with the medication I was like ah oh, right okay and I got really angry because I was like that can't just be the only thing that I you know, I, I felt so helpless. And I was like, and that's also, ridiculous. When they
0: say it like that, they come across like they're only thinking of their side. Yeah, that's You know right. what I mean? You get a bit annoyed. It's like, I'm your patient. I'm asking for a bigger question. I'm asking for a bigger answer than that.
1: Exactly. So that kind of made me think, well, if that's what you say, then I'm going to prove you wrong and, you know, really amp up my own health in order to yeah to give my body the best shot and my babies of, And did you of and so it. and
0: that so when he or he or she was saying that was that were they right to some degree or do you think that that was them focusing on their part of the picture Yeah
1: Look I definitely think that having um, you know a really healthy diet and lifestyle is a major factor but you've also got to remember that if you live in a metropolitan city you're exposed to so many toxins and chemicals whether it's in the water or the air or you know just touching things and Mm. so I think mental health is really really important so keeping Mm -hmm. a positive mindset and so even if I'd been told maybe go and see someone to make sure that you know you're keeping a positive mindset and you know you're kind of looking after that aspect of your health um would have been great to me Mm -hmm. so I really Mm -hmm. feel like it's definitely there's so many elements that you really need to um, take into account when you're Mm -hmm. thinking about you know recovering from an illness Mm -hmm. it's not just the drugs you take it's not just the diet you have it's you know where you're living your age but also your mental health and just making sure that everything's in as good a places you can get it at the time
0: and what would you say to anyone listening that finds it hard to stand up for themselves in those rooms because they are intimidating and there are times where maybe your auntie judy's telling you you're woo woo and silly and you know like (laughs) there's plenty of people might not be from something as you know as like for whatever reason it is how how do people feel empowered to back themselves in those environments yeah well i think it you know
1: that's a really that is a hard question because I mean if if it's something where your life's depending on it you just got to fucking do it yeah. do you know what I mean you've just yeah. got to be be brave and do it but I think as well for me what I found was really helpful was having someone on you know who had my back who did have you know the balls that I could kind of borrow in a yeah. way yeah. Um, just even who who you can call and get a pep talk from yeah. just someone to go you got this you know stick up for yourself you're doing what you think's best. I think that's really all you need or is someone, someone in the corner. A or cheater? take someone to
0: the appointment with you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Even if it's not
0: cancer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like even if it's a pap smear or and you're uneasy about asking questions, that's a good point. Yes. It doesn't have to be a boyfriend or a partner or a girlfriend because I think sometimes when you're single you think, I don't have that, I don't have that. So it's okay to take a girlfriend or that's a right. mom or someone that will give you maybe that you know, two, not two versus one, but they're the one with the brain. You, you do need to feel like you've got a bit of weight with you, yeah. right?
1: And even as well, remember that you have the right to say, let me think about that. I'll get back to you mm. as to whether I want to take that medication or start this treatment or get that cut out or mm. do this or do that. Mm. Take it all in, get the information, go, thank you for that, let me get back to you, whether it's like getting a root canal from a dentist, mm. you know what I mean? Go to another dentist, say, look, this is what I've been told. Do you think this is the the you know right path to take? They might say yes, they might say no, but at least you've got two people kind of giving you their own opinions. Yeah. Just totally. like getting, you
0: know, car insurance or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's true, but we, but we don't do that with house. No, We go don't. in there, we believe what they say. And they want to make a decision in that moment. Yep. So you often are like, oh, okay, you're walking out. The receptionist is like, okay, can we book that in for you? You know, it's all so quick. Yeah. So I think you're right, and I think that's a bloody good one because you can a lot of the time then go away and then – email back the receptionist questions Mm. and the doctor will either give you a call or and if they don't then they're probably not the right person to serve you because they need to give you a bit more time if you need it yeah
1: you want to feel there's trust there and respect and like you said everyone's an individual so they might have had x amount of patients before that have had a similar thing to you But yours
0: might be a little bit different. You might feel like it just doesn't sit right with me. So
1: get a second, get a third opinion. Yeah,
0: yeah. And have the time to do some research or talk about it with people. I love that. Oh, thank you, Al. We could have talked for hours and hours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Al. Thanks so much. Guys, if you want to hear more from Al, you can head to her website, E-L-L-E-H-A-L-L-I-E-L-L. You can also check her out on Instagram. If you heard her on the show and you loved her, make sure that you send her a DM, let her know that you uh, love the show. I'm sure she'd really appreciate that. Her book, I will put in show notes, is called A Mother's Choice. Um, it is an incredible memoir that is really just showcasing everything that we spoke about and more. And I think it is something that is a story that we can all really learn from. And I really hope that you got that from this podcast. But if you want to hear more about her story, make sure you read her book. It's it's incredible. I want to give a real uh, big shout out to her for joining me and opening up on the show this week. Uh, I have really come to appreciate the types of guests that are walking into this studio this year. And and really hope to continue to have uh, the spirited friendship that's starting to evolve in many of our chats uh, out of the studio as well. So I'm really grateful to, to her for coming in and also I'm um, just happy that she's in my life. I wanted to also give a shout out to uh, the Self-Centered Sunday podcast that we put up this week. It's all on sensitivity. Those podcasts are really important if you are looking to have some time alone and it is me talking in your ear, I'm sure, but there might be some way for you to turn it into a bit of a meditation or a bit of a self-care routine. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. It can be on any day of the week. If you love this show and you're enjoying it, I would really appreciate it if you could share it with one other other person this week. Just one friend, a text message with the link to the show. It doesn't have to be this one. It could be something else that resonated with you is really important in growing this audience. And I really encourage you to also take some responsibility around self-care and our community and the people that we love in our lives. It's not just us that really needs to focus on it. We need to introduce it to people that may be a bit resistant to it or maybe a bit shy away from something that has been put as a bit of a woo-woo conversation. It's so, so important that we Open the door for people that you feel like would really benefit that, but is just really needing a bit of a love tap. So if you've got someone like that in your life, let them know that I sent you or directed you or asked you to send them this podcast. Uh, and I really hope that it opens up some some pockets in their mind and heart uh, that needed to be opened. All right, guys, I'm going to get going. Uh, the next Self-Centered Sunday podcast will drop, of course, on Sunday. And I'm excited to to showcase another beautiful chat with you next week. Till then, bye. This has been another Bijou Podcast production.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary